My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. I find it fitting that we read this uh, passage today, the day after I did a wedding for my best friend's oldest son. So I've been talking about love for two days. Now, last night, it was super easy. There were three C's. First was covenant. They didn't hire a pastor who got his ordination online for $35 from the Universal Church of Light. They hired a real guy who went to seminary who was called by God and ordained by God to make sure that God is a part of their wedding, covenant. The second one was color, and I tell couples this. I said, I believe I said the, the husband was from the blue family and the wife was from the yellow family, and when you mix them together, it's green, and they are a new family. They can honor the family they came from, but the families, the blue and the yellow, are not allowed to mess in their stuff. And they both come from very strong families. Only Vicky could say amen, but it's true. And then the third C was courage. Love is hard work. Now, any of you who have been married more than two weeks know that love is hard work. If you've watched marriages, like as your parents or your grandparents, aunts and uncles, you know it's hard work. And I'm sorry to say that today, people don't like to do the work. They would rather jump out of the marriage or the relationship before they do the work. Having said that, we're going to take that information and roll it into what Jesus said. They're trying to trick him. They figured, ha ha, what will he pick out of the 600? And then we will, we will talk about him behind his back loudly. That was the goal. And what does he pick? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and then Mark's gospel adds strength. So we're going to add that today in our discussion. Your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then he says, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. So then I started thinking about love and what it means today. And I'm a musician, so I went for the songs. Here we go. Uh, in the Carnival, not Carousel, because I love Carousel. In Carnival, written by uh, Bill Murrow, he writes the song, Love Makes the World Go Round. You may, love makes the world go round. Love makes it, get it, Carousel. Anyway. In uh, medieval theology, they believed that it was love that propelled the universe into motion, that everything was frozen, sort of waiting for love to come and put the planets in orbit about, around the sun and put life into motion. The Beatles wrote, anybody? All you need is love. There we go. In the movie of the same name, they wrote, love is a many... Splendor thing, right? So we, we as a people are sort of obsessed with love. Now in fourth grade we sing, love is like a magic penny. Hold on tight, you won't have any. Spend it, share it, you'll have so many, you won't know what to do. That's also a Girl Scout song, if there's any Girl Scouts in the room. That's okay. And finally, the band Nazareth sings, love hurts. And Pat Benatar sang, love is a battlefield. We are sort of obsessed with love. 
Well, then it gets to be a little bit more difficult because, and you've heard this before, but I'll try and simmer it down. In the uh, Greek language, there are three words for love that translate to the Bible. Eros, phileo, and agape. This is not a Greek lesson. I have a good friend, Dr. J. Bruce Sophia, who uh, founded the Gloucester County Community Church. He says for his people, it means if, because, and period. I love you if you do something for me. Think cutting the grass on a hot summer day, and you would love a glass, a nice cold glass of iced tea is what we're going with today, right? That would meet your me. That's if love. Then there's because love. I love you because you're my brother or my sister or my aunt or my uncle. Pretty much because I have to, but it's a because love. And then there's period. I love you, period. There's nothing you do for me. There's nothing you have to do for me. There's no relationship. I just love you, period. The problem is today we look at the first one, the if love, as the most important. And Jesus in this passage said the period love was the most important. As soon as you add a but or an and to the end of your I love you, you don't really love them the way Jesus said anymore. People say, well, I don't believe in God anymore because I prayed for this. It didn't happen, right? There's a but there. I prayed for God, but he didn't answer my prayer. Not going to have a relationship with God. I got bad news for you. If Vicky could get rid of me every time I dropped the ball. I said I would like empty the dishwasher or make a phone call or do some chore around the house. And she says, Doc, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I mean, this is not an excuse, but it is an excuse. You've heard my schedule. <laughs> I'm, sometimes I'm not home enough to do those things. But imagine if we could write off God every time we perceived he didn't meet our needs. Jesus says, that's not the kind of love God's looking for. Well, what if we love God because he's God? Okay, he made the world. We love him because he's there. Woo-hoo, hi, God. But that's it. Like, I have to love my family, but have you met your family? Are all of them lovable? And you're all laughing. You can't see this on the recording, but everybody's got a little smile on their face. There are some decidedly unlovable people in our family. There are some decidedly unlovable people in God's family. And if we could, we would cross them off the list. It's not the love Jesus said. Jesus said we have to love, period. We have to love, period. Now, what does that mean for us? We have to try and figure out what love looks like. Now, in the musical, and there's going to be a lot of musical and media references today, in the musical My Fair Lady, Liza Doolittle has become a well-spoken lady. She's had a fight with per, the professor who made her a polite, well-spoken lady, and she has run out into the street, and she runs right into the tenor. Well, as soon as she runs in the tenor, I'm paying more attention. And the tenor's name is Freddie, and the tenor has been mooning over Liza for the entire musical. This is also based on the uh, George Bernard Shaw play Pygmalion. Freddie is just, oh, he is so madly in love with Eliza. 
And he offers her the opportunity to run off with him, which would end the musical early, which would be uncomfortable for everybody, including the instruments in the orchestra. And she sings this wonderful song, If You Love Me, Show Me. And she just lets him have it with both barrels. Just saying you love me is not enough. You have to do something about the love. Which reminds me of a story, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I've seen it in several of the uh, tools pastors use for sermon illustrations about a man and a woman who got married. And she, he said, I love you. He said, I love you every day. He said, I love you five times a day. Every chance he got, he said, I love you. After about two years, she looked him in the eye and she said, no, you don't. He said, I do. With all my heart, I love you. She said, no. Do a dish. Fold some laundry. Cut the grass. You've left everything to me. If you love me, you have to do something to show me. Or uh, I love this. This is, this is, I've heard this from Charles Stanley. He had a couple once. She was furious with the husband. Furious. They sat down across from him at the desk. And he said to the woman, why are you so mad? She says, I don't know if he loves me. And this gentle farmer from whatever state, Charles Stanley's, I think it's Georgia, anyway, says, I told you I loved you on the day we got married, and if it ever changes, I'll let you know. (laughs) Pastor Jimmy Brown tells about the first girl with whom he ever fell in love. They were in second grade. And until this point, he confesses that all he wanted to do was throw rocks at girls. But this girl was different. He didn't want to throw rocks at her. Her name was Shari. And she was cute as young Jimmy had ever seen. She had short little pigtails and wore the sweetest little dress with a great big teddy bear on it. She also had the prettiest smile, especially with that middle tooth missing, And she could jump out of a swing farther than anybody else in the second grade. She was great. Well, he remembers one day this lovely girl passed him a note. And it read, do you love me? Well, it didn't take long for that answer to come. Yes, I love you. He didn't even know what love was, but he knew that he had it. And he wrote yes on the note and passed it back. At recess that day, Sherry came up to him with a big smile and said, say it. By this time, he had no idea what she was talking about. Say what, he replies. Say that you love me, she said. It kind of embarrassed him, but he went ahead and he said, I I love you. The next day, she came up to him and she said, do you really love me? He said, yes. Do you mean it, she said. Well, he knew right The right answer, he said, of course I mean it. He says that that satisfies her for one day. And on the following day, she came up and she said, if you love me and if you mean it, why don't you show it? Good grief, he said. I I let her take my G.I. Joe eraser. I stopped pulling her pigtails. I made Tommy and Billy stop calling her names. What more does she want? He says, you're supposed to hold my hand. And then she said, and play with me at recess and sit next to me during free time. You're supposed to show it. He says, 25 years have passed since that day, and it always makes me laugh when I think back to the second grade. It also amazes me how God can use the ordinary events of life, 
even that of a seven-year-old boy, to teach us about him. God says, do you love me? Then say it. Well, I love you, we say, Lord, particularly on a Sunday morning in our prayers. God says, do you mean it? Because a lot of people say they love me, but some of them don't mean it. Of course I mean it, we answer quickly. And God says, then show it. Well, now you say, Pastor, how do we show that we love God? God is in heaven. God is everywhere. You've heard all those things. How do we show that we love God? And I have to say that it's very much, sometimes I feel like it's finding how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. And you know the answer. Three. Do you remember that commercial? The little owl bit it in the middle? Well, you can't bite to the middle of us and find out what's inside. But there is a psychologist named Gordon Alport who studied personalities and how do we become the people that we are today. And he said that at the very center of our being is what he called a cardinal trait. And then a cardinal trait is the one thing that motivates you through life. Are you loving? Are you caring? Are you selfish? Are you angry? You've met all these people, yes? Now, outside of that cardinal trait is your central trait. And these are the things, the uh, traits that you show every day. I don't know if you make your bed every day. Very important to me that the bed gets made every day. That's, that's sort of an orderly trait. It's a, it's a habit, right? You all have things like that. Some people can't talk until they've had their morning coffee. They're, these are the traits, the characteristics that people understand us by, but let's be honest, coffee is probably not your cardinal trait. And then your secondary traits are the ones that you use to get along in the world with everybody else. Jesus is saying, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love, he says, needs to be your cardinal trait, centered in your being. The most important thing in your life should be loving God. Now, that's a hard thing to do, because I love God every day, but then I've got those rotten little kindergarten kids who won't even sit in a circle do you, do you have this problem? I have this problem. I have fifth graders who won't stop wailing on their recorders or hitting each other with rhythm sticks. I, I, I have people in my life all day long that don't really act in a loving way. And then you should all go, Doc, period. You have to love them all, period. And then, for all of us, me included, We have to sigh and shuffle our shoulders around and go, oh, man. But God says, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want to be fair. God meets our needs. God actually calls for us to love him with the if, the because, and the period. I love God because he meets my needs. And I love God because we are in a relationship. And I love God because of the relationship we have. And I know we're getting past my, my internal clock of noon, but I won't go much longer, but here's where we're headed today. Have you heard of the five love languages? Everybody talks about it. You've, you've got acts of service and um, per, per, uh, physical touch and 
quality time. I only use these in my practice all day long, and now I can't remember the five. Uh, gifts and um, words of affirmation. There it is. And what we teach couples is that everybody has a bank account, a, a, a pot that needs to be filled with love. And what does God say? His, he inhabits the prayers of his people. God says, if you love me, fill my love bank with your praise, with your worship, with your giving. I made a list here on the next page. <laughs> yes, God, God says he needs our prayers, our worship. He inhabits our fellowship, our missions, our ministry, our outreach, our obedience, our visitation, our evangelism. And God even wants us to go into the pot. He wants us all to be in a place where we are centered and focused on loving God. And then out of that love comes the love for our neighbor. Do you know why? Because God loves our neighbor. And I made a list of neighbors here. We got angry neighbors. We got frustrating neighbors. We got complaining neighbors. Just nod if you got any of these. We got ignorant neighbors. We got poor neighbors, lost neighbors, lonely neighbors, annoying neighbors. We got emotionally needy neighbors. We got financially needy neighbors. We got sad neighbors, anxious neighbors, depressed neighbors, and mean neighbors. And what does God say? Gotta love them. See, we're getting there. So then what, what, what's a poor pastor and his congregation to do? Because the second commandment is a byproduct of the first. I can't love all of those neighbors until I learn how to love God. And then God's love in me will leak out, shine out, reach out to those neighbors. If I make the love of God my cardinal trait... His people, his world, his saving message, and his healing hope will be mine. So, let's visit for a moment probably the scripture that you all had read at your weddings. Now, I often, I, not often, every time I give the couple a list of scriptures to read at their wedding. We go with the uh, Adam's rib. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, that which God has put together, that no one put asunder. I offer them a Ruth, which a lot of couples are picking these days. Whither, I'm sorry, King James. Whither thou goest, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I offer them uh, Ephesians. Women, submit to your husbands. Uh, that always goes over. Nobody picks that one. <laughs> and by the way, it doesn't really mean submit. It means to stand with which is much more powerful, but as soon as the, they hear submit, like, no, we're not doing that one. I offer them 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Uh, Beloved, let us love God, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not, loveth not God, for God is love. So, beloved, let us love one another. And then I offer them 1 Corinthians 13, which I have glued, not taped, glued into my book of services because 99% of the time, couples want that one. Love is patient. Love is kind. You with me? So at the end of my message, every time they pick it, I remind them that this is not a test to see if your partner is loving you. 
It is a template to see if you are loving them. Most couples want to get out the finger wag. You're not being patient. You're not being kind. You're not being loving. You're not being honest. Where actually it needs to go this way. Am I being patient? Am I being kind? Am I being truthful and trusting? Am I being hopeful? And probably the hardest one in that list is, am I not keeping records of wrongs? I mean, how can you have a good fight with your spouse if you can't list all the things they did wrong since you met? Okay, only a few of us thought that was funny. Vicky has never done that to me. I don't believe I've ever done it to Vicky. But you've met those couples. They just go all the way. This started in your car when we were at the movie theater in 1957. Like, really? We're not allowed to carry the record of wrongs. And that's what love looks like. Believe it or not, 1 Corinthians 13 was not written to be a marriage passage. It was written for all of us to learn how to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. Love is not a yardstick, but a mirror. Love is not a test, but a template. So yes, I agree with the person who wrote the song. Love is a many-splendored thing. Love does make the world go round. And yes, love is a battlefield, and sometimes love hurts. But from today's message, love is a command and a choice. And I have to do this. I'm so sorry. I have one more media reference. Choose wisely. Amen.